Alright, this morning we'll be back in Romans again, Romans chapter 5. Uh, but just a little bit of review once again. Um, we started this section weeks ago. And we're talking about the six assurances that are in this section that a believer has after they come to faith in Christ. And we talk about those six blessed assurances. And the first one was that um, we're no longer enemies with God and no mo longer at war with God. And because of that, we have peace with God. And then we saw that we have a standing in grace. Next, we saw the hope of glory. And that hope of glory or hope of glory in God doesn't make us ashamed. Then the, the fourth one was that we saw that the love of God was shed abroad in our hearts freely. And last week we looked at being reconciled to God. We're reconciled to God, um, and there's no more condemnation because of that. And this, and this week we're going to focus on joy, joy in God. What does it mean to joy in God? <clears throat> so as we... Uh, begin to think about that. Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we ask that you bless the reading of your word. And Father, we ask that you bless the reading and the singing that we've done already this morning in worshiping you. And Father, we ask that at the reading of your word that you would hear us and that you would uh, just help us to focus you on you and to worship you and in spirit and in truth. Father, we just thank you that we have this opportunity to come and worship you together. And Father, we just thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have in your Bible, can you, can you hear me okay? All right. All right, Romans chapter 5, and I'll begin reading in verse 1 again. Uh, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet for adventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath to come. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have received the atonement. <coughs> I want you to notice again verse 8, but God commended his love towards us 
and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We started this thought last week um, that while we were enemies, Jesus died for us. And we wrestled with the idea of God loving us enough that he would die while we were yet enemies. And what it would look like, what would it look like now that we've come to faith in Christ and we're no longer enemies, what's it going to be like now? And we looked at the idea of reconciliation. We thought about reconciliation and the implications of that and the implications of not being reconciled. We, we, we considered the idea of not being reconciled and wondered if we should fear, how much we should fear at being not reconciled. And fear was based on God's holiness. You know, when we come in the presence of God and see and realize His holiness just by being in His presence, <clears throat> how much fear that would bring to our life. And we, we said that, or I said that, we should greatly fear knowing that God is holy and we're not. And it's only that by God's grace that we can survive, one can survive in the presence of God in His holiness. And it's by God's grace that we're reconciled. We can be reconciled through the Lord Jesus Christ through faith. And look at verse 11 just to remind you once again about verse 11. It says, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. And as I always say in this word joy, it has two ways it's used in the Bible. And one is boasting. And it's often used in a negative way in the Bible. And the other is joy or rejoicing. And that's used in the positive way. Uh, joy means to boast in a negative way or to rejoice in a positive way. And there's a warning that comes with boasting. Or there's a warning that comes when we consider this word. And we must understand there's a difference between boasting and rejoicing. Boasting is, is celebrating oneself. You've probably seen an athlete somewhere who made a basket. You know, he gets paid millions of dollars to do so, and he just runs around and jumping up and down and throwing the ball around, boasting in himself about making a basket that he's just getting paid for. That's his job to make baskets, or it's his job to make a goal, you know, to run into the end zone. That's a boasting that uh, has a negative connotation in the Bible. Turn over in your Bible and I'll show you what I mean. <clears throat> Turn on your Bible to Proverbs chapter 16. And rejoicing is celebrating someone else's accomplishments. That's what rejoicing means. It's celebrating someone. So the difference here, boasting is celebrating oneself. 
and rejoicing is celebrating someone else. Look at verse uh, 31 in Proverbs 16. It says, The hoary head is a crown of glory if it be found in the way of righteousness. The hoary head, I'm talking about a gray head. Well, if I had hair, it'd be gray. Uh, but a hoary head is a crown of glory if it be found in the way of righteousness. So one of the things we learn in this verse is that there is a right way to glory. There's a right way to boast. There's a right way to rejoice. You know, just like we've learned over the last few weeks, that there's a right way to worship. We've learned that Pastor Doug did a really good job helping us to understand that there's a right way to worship God because of His holiness. And in this verse, we learn that there's a right way to glory and to rejoice. We know the Bible says that there is none righteous, no, not one. So this rejoicing or glorying is not in oneself. And especially when we look at the holiness of God. This is talking rightly, seeing that God has a standard for righteousness. And that we do not have anything to boast in our own righteousness. And that's what this passage is talking about. There's a right way. Turn over a couple books back to the left. The book of Judges from the book of Psalm, or Proverbs. Turn over to uh, Judges chapter 7. Judges chapter 7 is talking about Gideon. and How Gideon chose his army, you know, Mid, the Midianites had come and invaded the land and God put it on uh, Gideon's heart to go fight against Midian. And he put the call out. He called out the men of Israel to come to uh, gather an army together to battle against Midian. And if you recall, there was 30,000 that came to join the army of Gideon. Gideon would lead. And, and God told Gideon, he said, that's, not, that's way too many people to go to battle. And if you look at verse 2 of chapter 7, it says, And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand, into their hand. God is saying, there's way too many of y'all for me to fight your battle. And he goes on to say, Lest Israel vault themselves against me. So he's talking about boasting. He didn't want to give Israel an opportunity to boast and say, You know, it's because we were 30,000 strong and we were excellent fighting men that we beat the 100,000 Midianites. God didn't want that to be a case for them. He wanted Midian to know that if they obeyed God, that God would take care of their enemies. If they obeyed His law, God would 
fight for them. And the reason that the Midianites were there in the first place is because Israel wasn't obeying the law. They weren't following God's ordinances. So he sent the Midianites to judge them. And after a time, he put it on Gideon's heart to go fight against them. And if you continue in the story, you, uh, or Gideon went through several tests to kind of weed out those who weren't ready to fight. Those who weren't, that God didn't want in his army to fight against Midian. And one of the tests was, is I want you to go and uh, on a march and you're going to march to this place where they can all get drink, get a drink of water and they were thirsty after this march. And he said that all the ones that um, lay down on the ground and lap up like a dog, weed them out. They can't go to battle. But the ones that would kneel down and pick up the water with their hand and drink out of their hand while they're able to look around, he said, I want you to choose those guys to be in this battle. And it turned out there was only 300 left out of 30,000. And then he told Gideon, this is what I want you to take in the battle. I want you to arm each person, each of these 300, I want you to arm them with a trumpet and a lamp. A trumpet and a lamp. How many people can you kill with a trumpet? How many can you kill with a lamp? Zero. God wanted them to know that there's a way to, the right way to boast, and that's to boast in God, to rejoice in God. And just so I don't leave you hanging, that they, they went to the Midianite camp and they surrounded the camp with 300 guys. They uh, stood around, they was all around this big camp of 100,000 Midianites. Joshua, or get my story mixed up here. Gideon, he says, I want you to stand around, and when I give the word, I want you to break your lamp. And they put their lamp in a picture so the light wouldn't be given off from it and reveal their position. Because I want you to break that picture. And when you break that picture and the light, that lamp starts illuminating there around you, I want you to say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And I want you to blow on the trumpet. And when they did that, the Lord fought for them. The Midianites started killing each other, and there was a great slaughter that day, and Israel was delivered from the Midianites for a long time because Gideon trusted the Lord and he didn't trust the sword. And that's what God wanted. He wanted Israel to know that it's the Lord that fights the battles for you. He wanted them to, to rejoice in God's deliverance and not in their own.
Turn over in your Bible uh, a little further back to the book of Psalms. Um, got another verse there I'd like for you to that'll help us to understand about rejoicing and boasting and joy. Psalms Psalms chapter 5, verse 11. Almost thought I gave you the wrong scripture there because it's the same verse in Romans, 5.11. So we'll see, we'll read it and see where it takes us. It's not hard getting old when you can't even remember five minutes. <laughs> Psalms chapter 5, verse 11, it says, But let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice, and let them ever shout for joy, because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. And that's talking about putting your joy in the Lord and boasting. And this is the Lord, this is the joy that Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 5. We boast or rejoice in the Lord. For the surprising gift of salvation that he provides. You know, it should surprise you every time you think about your, your salvation. And it should cause you to rejoice. You know, there's no greater assurance than just reviewing the fact that God has saved you and rejoicing in it. That's a, that's a surprising thing right there. And that's a, happens to be the theme of our study in Romans, well, God's surprising mission. We boast or rejoice in the Lord for the surprising gift of salvation he gives. Let's review Paul's understanding of boasting. Now let's turn back over to the New Testament, and we'll see how Paul... We'll see what Paul thinks about boasting. Turn over to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Find your way to verse 20. It says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Paul here tells us what the purpose of the law was. It wasn't to, for us to try to keep it, or for Israel to try to keep it, so that they could boast, look how good I kept the law. No, the purpose of the law is to reveal sin. And what do you, what do you, you might say, Pastor Jim, what on earth are you talking about that the law is to reveal sin? You know, I can look at the Ten Commandments and say, boy, I'm doing pretty good because, you know, I don't steal anything or I don't kill people or I don't commit adultery. But what we, what we miss is there's layers to the law. Yes, we might say, look at the outward layer of the law, thou shalt not steal or thou shalt not kill. But you know, I've never done any of that stuff. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount about, about murder, about killing? He said to the Jew, or he said to that crowd. 
twelve that was gathered there, he said, You say, Thou shalt not murder, and you do well. But I say, Anyone that hates his brother without a cause has committed murder already. Or you might say, uh, You've never committed adultery. But Jesus says, if you look on another person and lust after them, you've committed adultery already in your heart. You see, there's different layers of the law. And the law is just not a surface thing. The law is a penetrating thing that penetrates the thoughts and the intents of the heart and it reveals sin. So let me continue in Romans chapter 3 verse 21 it says but now the righteousness of, the, of God without the law is manifest being witnessed by the law and the prophets verse 22 it says even the righteousness of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe for there is no differences righteousness is by faith in Jesus Christ that's the only righteousness we can claim is faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 23 says, or, do not, do you want to impress God? Then believe the work of Jesus for your salvation. You want to impress God? Believe Jesus. Verse 23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Boasting in your own ability or in your own righteousness falls short. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It is by God's grace and He freely gives it to all that believe. We have, no, we have nothing that we can offer God. Verse 25, it says, Whom... God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the redemption of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. There's that word, Tim, propitiation. Propitiation means, propitiation is like a shock, shock absorber on a car. Back in the day, if you ever drove down Martin County Grade before they paved it, you knew what a shock absorber was for on that road. Um, some of you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. But it's like driving on a washboard before it was paid. It was just, it would just beat your car to death. It would just it would literally rattle your car apart if you tried to drive 45 miles an hour down that road. It would just beat you to death. Then there was those big old sand pits. Remember those big sand pits you get trapped in? That was a bad road before they paved it. But anyway, the shock absorber on the car really absorbs a lot of impact from the highway. You don't feel it. And that's what Jesus was. He was a shock absorber. He was a, a wrath absorber. He absorbed the wrath of God for our sins. 
Jesus absorbed the wrath of God on the death of the cross, on the cross and his death. God remains righteous in forgiving sins because the debt of sin was paid in the death of Christ on the cross. Our sin is a debt that we cannot pay and forgiveness is freely given to all who believe. You see that to receive that salvation, to receive that forgiveness of our sin hinges on our faith, faith in Christ. Jesus paid the debt and forgiveness is freely given to all who believe. Verse 26 says, To declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just, and the justifier of him which believes in Jesus. You understand that when God forgives our sins, he's just in doing so. Because of Christ taking the punishment for our sin on the cross, keeps God's justice intact. In Because if there wasn't that act of Jesus absorbing God's wrath and God just forgave sin without that, he would be an unjust God. Just as a judge today would be unjust if he just let murderers go and thieves go, he'd be unjust in doing so. Because there was a crime committed against society that must be paid for. And there's a crime against God when we sin that must be paid for. And for God to just to say, okay, that's okay, you're, you're good. He would be an unjust God if he did so. But for the death of Christ, Absorbing that wrath for sin, making the payment for our sin on the cross, keeps God's justice intact. He can still be just to forgive all those people, all who call on Him to forgive their sins. He can be just. And that's what that verse is talking about. In verse 27, it's the point of what I'm trying to make here about boasting. Verse 27, it says, Where is boasting then? Where can we boast in our righteousness? He goes on to say, he says, it's excluded. We don't have anything to boast in. By what law? of works, nay, no, but the law of faith. You see, you understand that through the law of faith we're forgiven. You see, it's faith that negates those things. It's faith that does away with our boasting in ourselves. 
It does away with us trying to stand before God and say, look at all those good things I did. Faith does away with all that. Because our faith is in Christ. We've got one more passage for us to turn to. And that's in uh, 1 Corinthians. And hopefully we'll close when we get through this passage. Not a long one, actually. But it talks about our boasting and rejoicing. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17 says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. So you Paul went to Corinthians to preach the gospel. That's what he did, he preached the gospel. Verse 18, it says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of the cross, power of God. And that's what Paul was talking about in Romans 1, where it says, Salvation the gospel is the power of God and the salvation. It's a powerful thing to be saved. It's a powerful thing for the gospel to take, to take effect in our heart. Because it was a powerful thing when Jesus endured the wrath of God on the cross. Powerful judgment that Jesus endured for, for our sins. Verse 19, it says, For it is written, I will, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolishness the wisdom of this world? For after this is the wisdom of God, that the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that are lost. You understand that God uses preachers to explain the gospel to people. You might say, well, who are the preachers? Is it Doug? Is it Eric? Is it me? Is it Pastor Tom? Is it only those people that stand behind a pulpit similar to this and proclaim the Word of God? No. It's every believer. Every time you share the Gospel with your kids, every time you have one of those Gospel moments with your grandkids, you're a preacher. You're explaining the gospel. And it's true that that foolishness of that that God saves people. People must hear the gospel in order to be saved. For after this, for after that is in the wisdom of God, the wisdom of the world, 
start over, verse 21. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jew require a sign, and the Greek seek after a seek after wisdom. Verse 23, But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greek foolishness. But unto them which are, which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, things which are not, to bring to naught them that are, that no flesh may glory in his presence. You see, what he's talking about there is God uses just ordinary people to preach the gospel. He uses old people, he uses young people, he uses people in the middle, he uses, uses kids preach the gospel. You don't have to have a great education to preach the gospel. All you have to know is what God has done in you. Just telling another person how God saved you from your sins. Preaching the gospel. What he's saying in those verses. And he says it. He says we, he uses people like us, ordinary people. Verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. In other words, no flesh can boast of themselves in God's presence. Verse 30, it says, But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made Why I'm having trouble this morning? Just reading. Let me start that again. Verse 30. But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Verse 31. That according as it is written, he that glorious, let him glory in the Lord. What a powerful statement for a Christian that we can glory in the Lord. What a powerful thing for someone to do and to understand after you come to faith in Christ that you can rejoice in your salvation 
What a powerful work that salvation does in our lives. Can you think of a greater assurance than being able to say, I have put my faith in Christ. Let me try to give you a good application for this. If you are ever in doubt of your salvation, what do you do? What do you do? Well, what you do is you say, all right, Lord, maybe you're making me doubt for a purpose. And you must examine yourself. What are you trusting in? Are you trusting in a prayer that you prayed? Are you trusting in walking to the front of the church? Or are you trusting in some sacred place that you've been? Are you trusting in your own goodness? And if you say yes to any of those questions, you need to repent and believe. Because none of those things will save you. It's only faith in Christ that will save you. Rejoicing in your salvation is a great assurance because it causes you to review how you got there in the first place. That's how we just go back to the basics. There was some famous coach, I think it was the Alabama coach. I think his name was Bear Bryant. I forget, I don't know. I don't keep up with football, but he... His first day on the job at coaching, he walked in the locker room where all the guys were gathered and he said, he had a football in his hand. He said, this is a football. And that's how he led the team. He got back to basics. When you doubt your salvation, go back to the basics. What are the basics? You repented and you believed in Christ. That's the basis. Nothing else can save. If you're a Christian today, rejoice in your salvation. Take joy in God that He saved you by simple faith. And if you're not, believe in Jesus Christ today. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for the opportunity to just look at your word today. Father, we ask that you magnify your word in our hearts today and help us to rejoice in what you've said, what's been written down. Father, we just thank you and we praise you and we honor you that you've provided a way through simple faith. Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So let's stand and we'll sing our last song.
Something's going to take you thing, God on the mountain. 